All right, uh, we started a few weeks ago uh, with this series. Um, it's called Doctrine, and we start with this section on basically the attributes of God and what God is like, what we started with. Um, and I uh, hope that was an encouraging uh, uh, thing for you. I, I know we have the, the, those classes on the podcast if you want to listen to those things. If you want notes from those things, um, they are there as well. But today, we're going to move to a different question that we want to answer. The question is this, what is the Trinity? Which is a very simple topic to go through, uh, the Trinity and the Trinitarian nature of God. Um, but we're going to spend, I think, the next three to four weeks looking at that. Today's going to be kind of like an intro overview of the Trinity. And then we're going to look for the next few weeks at, this, at the different roles of the Father and the Son and uh, the Spirit. We're going to find the doctrine of the Trinity as, as like this. God eternally exists as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and each person is fully God, and there is one God. There is one God. So there's two resources that have kind of helped uh, guide me in this. There it is. Uh, Christian Beliefs by Wayne Grudem, also the book we talked about last time. But also, this is a great book right here. I'd encourage you all to pick up Delighting in the Trinity by Michael Reeves. A really good, uh, and it's not too um, academic, it's not too uh, crazy, and so um, it's very accessible. So I encourage all of us to pick this up. Um, it's a great book. Uh, Reeve says this, If the Trinity were something we could shave off of God, we would not be relieving him of some irksome weight. We would be sharing him, shearing him of precisely what is so delightful about him. For God is triune, and it is as triune that he is so good and desirable. So the question I want to start with, is the Trinity essential? Like, is the Trinity an essential doctrine of our faith? There's this thought, yeah, we'll get to that. There is this thought that Trinity is like this weird or odd part about God, right? Like this mysterious kind of thing, like it's an add-on to our beliefs. And I think that we make it worse with our metaphors about the Trinity, that fall woefully short. So what's the, like the egg? There's the shell, the yolk, and the yolk and the white. It's all one egg. No, that's not good. Somebody else says the Trinity is more like a shamrock leaf. That's one leaf, but it's got three bits sticking out, just like the Father, Son, and the Spirit. No, that falls woefully short as well. And so, you know, in light of that, we see the Trinity as like this weird, almost strange thing, which is no wonder that we see it as irrelevant so how could this eggishness of god uh be more than a weird curiosity because we're never going to fall down in all of an egg like thing or of this shamrock leaf so how important is this doctrine how important is the doctrine of the trinity to our faith The Athanasian Creed, the statement of faith from the 5th or 6th century, begins with this. Whosoever will be saved, before all things it is necessary that he hold the Catholic, that is the church's orthodox faith, which faith except everyone to, to keep whole and undefiled, without doubt he shall perish everlastingly. And the Catholic faith is this, that we worship one God in Trinity, and Trinity in unity. Now we hear that, that the one way to worship this God 
is as a triune God. And that today that sounds almost too much to the point of being hysterical. So you're saying if I don't believe in the Trinity, I can't be of the faith. No, it's the orthodox view of orthodox church. That must go too far, right? To say this is essential that this cannot be left behind. For we might be happy to include the Trinity in like things that like Christians believe, but the suggestion that our salvation depends on the Trinity comes off almost as like hyperbole. How could something so different and almost weird be necessary for salvation before all things? So we have to ask, what is essential to our Christian faith? What is essential? Listen, by themselves, faith in itself is not essential. And here's why. Because plenty of faiths put their faith into wrong things. So the key for us is what are we putting our faith into? And God as Trinity is essential to who he is. So uh, a Jehovah Witness can believe in the sacrificial death of Christ, Mormons in the resurrection, others in salvation by grace. Granted, there are similarities, but they're sometimes only superficial. But the very fact that certain Christians believe can be shared by other belief systems shows they cannot be simply the foundation on which Christian gospel rests. It is before all things. By themselves, they are not what makes the Christian gospel Christian. Jehovah's Witness can believe in this death, the Mormons' this resurrection, but if we miss out on this essential nature of who God is, which is three in one, we miss out on the very identity and foundation of our faith. It's the very foundation of our faith. And here's the thing on the Bible's view of the Trinity, because we get this from Scripture, who God is. Now, this word Trinity is never found in the Bible. We can't say that we found this one scripture that says Trinity. We can't find that. But the idea that is represented by the word is affirmed in all kinds of places. And now later on, church theologians would use different terms and words not seen in the Bible, like Trinity. They were not adding to God's revelation of himself as if scripture was insufficient. They were expressing the truth of who God is as revealed in scripture. In particular, They were trying to articulate Scripture's message in the face of those who were distorting it one way or another. For what makes Christianity absolutely distinct is the identity of our God. Let me say that again. What makes our faith unique is the identity of our God. Our God's three-in-oneness makes Him unique. This is the God that we worship. bedrock of our faith foundation is nothing less than god himself in every aspect of the gospel creation revelation salvation is only christian insofar as it is the creation revelation and salvation of the triune god not the god of our creation and our beliefs of the trinity are informed by scripture now you could have some people say, Scripture, really? What about Deuteronomy 6.4? Deuteronomy 6.4 says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It says here, the Lord is one in Deuteronomy 6.4. One, not three. 
So how can this God be triune? But the point of Deuteronomy 6.4 is not to teach that the Lord our God, the Lord is a mathematical, mathematical singularity. In the middle of Deuteronomy 6, that would be kind of out of the blue at the least. But this is about God's people having the Lord as the one object of their affections. He is the only one worthy of them. And they are to love him alone with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. So we can go right to the beginning of, of, of a scripture in Genesis 1. And when we see this first picture of a Trinitarian three-in-one God, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. I'll never forget being a kid. And as a kid, you're taught God is three-in-one. And that makes no sense to you, right, as a kid. It doesn't make much sense to me now. But there is this sense when you're a kid, it's just a word you learn, Trinity, right? And I'll never forget reading my Bible as a teenager or, or a young or an older child, I can't remember which. And I read this verse and I saw that plural right there of our image and our likeness. And I was blown away that from the very beginning, there is this picture of the triune God. This God that is three in one. And this is, we're going to get more to this later as we walk through the series, but this is so beautiful. The, the unity of the three in one, the community of the three in one, and how that is imprinted on us made in, made in their likeness, right? There is a reason that we feel loneliness. We are made in the image of a communal three in one God. Matthew 3.16, when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven, the Father, said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. At this moment, all three members of the Trinity were performing three distinct activities. God the Father was speaking, God the Son was being baptized, and God the Spirit was resting on the Son. This beautiful picture of our three-in-one God working at the same time. Matthew 28, 19. Oh, I didn't put that in there. Okay. Matthew, y'all know this great commission. Baptize in the name of what? Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. As he is getting ready to ascend and he's giving us our instructions, right? Giving his followers their instructions to go. He commands them. And saying this, Jesus is affirming that all three members of the Trinity are distinct in their personhood. The Father can't be the Son, for example. So baptize in the name of each, the Father and the Son and the Spirit. Uh, John 14 through 17, we're not getting into today, um, are one of the best pictures of this. Um, and actually, Luke today is teaching in John 16 on the role um, of the Spirit. And it's one of my favorite sections of Scripture to walk through, is because you see all three of the Godhead um, working. So, um, what is the role of the Trinity? Like, what, what, is, what is their role? And then how does that role impact us? So 
We're going to dive very deeply into the role of the Father next week, the role of the Son the next week, the role of the Spirit in the last week. But kind of as a broad overview, hear this. In both creation and redemption, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit all have very distinct roles. It was the Father who directed and sent both the Son and the Spirit. The Father did that. It was the Son who, along with the Father, sent the Spirit. The Son was obedient to the Father, and the Spirit was obedient to both the Father and the Son. And while both the Son and the Spirit have and continue to carry out their roles in equal deity with the Father, they do so in submission to the Father. See, we hear submission and we don't see equality, right? That is not true in the Godhead. And because of that fact, that has great implications for us today. So these different functions, they're simply the outworking of this eternal relationship that's been going on forever between the Father, Son, and the Spirit. They don't diminish the deity or attributes or essential nature of the Father, Son, or Spirit. This distinction is simply the ways they relate to each other and to their creation. This is far different from our own experience where every person is a different being as well. But somehow God's being is so different than ours that it can be both undivided and can unfold itself into interpersonal relationships among three distinct persons. That makes my mind and my head explode a little bit because that is so, I, I can't fully comprehend that because this is this is just different than what we experience with each other on some level but the unity and the diversity within the trinity provides a wonderful basis for the unity and diversity of everything we experience in everyday life a great picture of this is marriage right in marriage for example two distinct persons come together and through marriage, they become one flesh. As husband and wife, they have equal standing, value, and personhood before God. But they have very distinct roles. Like marriage roles. Now, I will say this. We can definitely say culture has influenced marriage roles. But for a Christian that follows Jesus in the Bible, these roles we do not create out of thin air. They are passed down to us from our God in the image of our God. Let me keep going. Just as the father has authority over the son, so in marriage the husband has authority over the wife. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11.3, the head of every man is Christ, and the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Even though it can be tricky to kind of figure out how these roles flesh out every day, the Bible makes it very clear the relationship within the Trinity provides the model for the picture of our marriages. And remember, the Father, the Son, the Spirit, they are equal. There's not one lesser than the other, but yet the Son does submit to the Father, which is a great picture for us, even in marriage. Another great picture, this is the church, which has many members, all with different skills, different strengths, different gifts. But there's one body, and there's one purpose. It's also seeing the ethnic makeup of the church, which includes members from every nation, all tribes and peoples and languages. This diversity adds a complexity that shows us the wisdom of God in allowing both unity 
and diversity to exist within his world. And I'll say this too, uh, the unity in the midst of diversity in the church might be in this day and age our greatest apologetic to a watching world. Here's what I mean. In a world where everybody that is against each other, whether it's black and white, poor or rich, Republican, Democrat, whatever, the world has these things as the essential greatest things. When the church of Jesus Christ, made in the image of a triune God, made new by the blood of God, lives out this new creation, new kingdom mindset where there is diversity and unity, we give a picture to a watching world of loving unity. And this is the image that we were made in and being recreated in through the power of the Spirit and our sanctification. But, but many times we just, we let the lesser become the greater and it destroys unity. Let the lesser become the greater and it destroys unity. And the thing is, we are now the little image, image bearers of God walking around as Christians and as priests in the world. And when we make the lesser thing into the greater thing, we give the watching world this false picture. And also, we miss out on the benefit of the body of Christ, which is this unique thing. Every person in this room, here's what's so great. The Spirit has empowered with different kind of gifts for different kinds of things, right? We have some who are teachers. We have some who are encouragers. We have some who are givers. We have some who are servers. We have all these different gifts. What we tend to do is elevate our gift and look down on the other gifts, right? And we miss out on this beautiful picture of the church being many different body parts, but one body. This beautiful picture of the diversity of our church, but greater than that, the unity of our church. The other thing we've done is we have made our diversity, our differences, the point, right? Well, I am this way. I, I, am, I have this belief or I have this background. I've had this thing as being the superior thing, right? The superior thing for us in the church is that we were forgiven and washed from our sins. That is the greater thing that unites all of us. And we forget that we are missing out. And so here is, we said this in the first series from Tozer. What we know about God is the most important thing about us. What we think about when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And hear this, if we are missing out on the triune nature of the God, we are missing out on something hugely important. Hugely important that tells us about who God is and how we live and respond to him. So uh, we're going to move to some discussion now at our tables.